Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. ABTV buddies, I've got Ken Gar on the show today. I watched his special American Hero and just had to talk to him right after that because it was a fantastic special. From front to back, talking about the troops, breakups, everything in his life. Very personal, very good, very funny, and very relatable. Ken and I are kind of kindred spirits in that he was in the corporate sales world for 13 years, and I've been doing it for 25. We had a lot to talk about as far as the skill set for sales and how it translates into comedy as far as getting gigs, getting paid, and surviving. He also mentioned uh, Brad Garrett being one of his mentors, and I thought that was interesting because they both have very different styles, but uh, a good comedian recognizes a good comedian. So here's Ken Gar. I hope you enjoy it. Ken, how are you? I'm great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. I really enjoyed your special. I just loved, and it's probably a lot of people's favorite part, the going over and performing for the troops. That whole story is just nuts. Yeah, it was insane. It was my first time ever doing a tour for our troops. I had done some shows here in the U.S., but to go, and it happened so abruptly. So I had reached out to the booker and he's like, oh, these are very hard to get on to. I've got a long list of comedians. And then like two days later, he's like, can you be in Iraq in four days? I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) okay. You know, because apparently one of the comedians he had, their passport was about to expire. So they disqualified. And so he literally just uh, slotted me in there. And I really had no idea where we were going, what we were doing, you know, but I wasn't going to pass up this chance to entertain the troops and go on this adventure. It was uh-huh. absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's a, these are the, some of the best shows I've ever done, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're always an appreciative audience, but the fact that you just never been over there and then you were, and you know, firsthand of what's going on and yeah. Yeah, I had a buddy that was, he was a a senior press advisor for one of the vice presidents. I won't say which one, but one of the vice presidents. And he went over there for a year, and it was fairly early on in the war. And he came back a changed man. He was a pretty tough guy to start with, and he came back really changed because he he was— frontline type guy so uh, so he could see what was going on in the front lines and yeah it's not only dangerous but uh, there's big spiders too (laughs) oh they have these things called camel spiders and they're about the size of your hand (laughs) and they tell you they're like look out for camel spiders and i was like what are they well they latch on to camels and they like basically suck the blood of yeah <laughs> and like no one prepares you for any of this yeah you're just you're there and my my joke about getting malaria in Djibouti and it's just uh, it's a whole different world and it's a whole different experience and I was so grateful to do it but 
you know, at the same time, you, you don't know what to expect. Yeah, you know? right. And I only did a 16-day tour, and these guys are there for six months, nine oh, months yeah. at a time. Yeah. I mean, and they're living in these little trailers or these little tents, uh-huh. and God bless them, man. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's a tough gig. I had a nephew and one of my son's close friends, and one was in the Army and one was in the Marines, and the camel spiders stories were the ones that creep me out the most of anything. <laughs> Oh yeah. You're just, you sleep like this, yeah. but, you know, and you're one, one guy told me he emptied an entire magazine from a nine millimeter into a spider yeah, yeah. that I, was crawling on him. I go, I would just burn it all down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't even like the little daddy long legs in the shower. I'm like, we're good. We're going to get a new apartment. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the things that really struck me when I was reading your bio was the fact that you spent 13 years in corporate sales before you got into stand-up or at the same time. And I don't want to ask what you sold exactly, but what type of corporate sales were you in? Because I, there's different things you can sell. Yeah. So I spent uh, my, a quick review of my resume. I spent nine and a half years at a company called Dunn and Bradstreet. Oh, there you go. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. About a 175 year old company. They basically are a credit bureau for businesses. Yeah. So I, I was, uh, I sold data basically. Uh-huh. Spent about nine and a half years there. And then I got into a company called Precision IR, which was investor relations marketing. So okay. we would help companies to attract investors to their stock. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I got recruited by NASDAQ. So my last job in corporate America, I was a managing director at NASDAQ. Yeah. And okay. it was like, it was, uh, NASDAQ was a great company. Um, uh, I would work directly with the CEO and CFOs of Fortune 500 companies. I was there to help keep them apprised of what was going on with their stock and to help provide the tools that they needed to attract institutional investors. And it was great. I, I was schmoozing and rubbing elbows with some of the these industry moguls. And it was a great experience. But at the same time, I had started doing stand-up in the early 2000s. And I just did it for fun for like the first 10 years. But, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. I released my first album and that that did pretty well. And then I just started getting more and more work. And so I found that all of my vacation days were being used towards stand up. Uh-huh. I was going away every weekend on the road. I would try to take off early on Friday and go to Wisconsin or Indiana. I was originally I was in Chicago at the time. Uh-huh. So I finally made the decision one day to just kind of give this a chance. So and that was eight years ago. I said, all right, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to give it a year. I left the corporate world and I said, I'm going to try it for a year. And if not, I'll go and interview and get my job back somewhere. And I'll at least I'll have a cool story to tell. Yeah. I tried pursuing my dream. And that was eight years ago. And I never looked back. I mean, it's been absolutely an amazing journey. And I, as you mentioned, I just released another special and it, the feedback has been incredible on it. And I'm just trudging and I'm just making an app. One of the things that I know is true is, man, it's hard to back out of those sales jobs, especially when you're good. And it sounds like you were good because it's almost like a printing press for money. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And the motivation has to be there. But there's such there there's such a difference between that and the art that goes into comedy. The work is totally different, not just the performance aspect, but I mean, you're really turning on different parts of your brain. And how are you able to, since you were doing comedy for a few years before you left the corporate world, how, how did you balance that so that 
you could actually stay sane. It wasn't easy. So the analogy that I use is that Superman hated his day job. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> like he's got the uniform under there. He can yeah. fly. He's got late. Like and that's how he feels as a comedian. I feel like when I'm on stage, like Superman. And when I was doing the corporate gig, I felt like I was Clark Kent. And so for me, there were two very different worlds. And eventually it was hard to reconcile both of those mm -hmm. lifestyles. Yeah. And so for me, that's kind of what was the deciding factor of like, hey, let's have this leap of faith and let's take a chance on ourselves. Because so, I grew up in a very blue collar home, very much like you have to have a pension, have to have a retirement plan. You have to like go and work for 30 years. And it's not that they didn't appreciate my passion for comedy. It's just that's the world that my parents grew up in. Yeah. They were kids of the depression, right? So I, I ultimately made that decision to, to take a chance on myself, but it wasn't easy going and doing this thing that you're, you love and you're very passionate about. And then on Monday, taking the train in and having Monday morning meetings and then, but I also like loved my clients and I loved the products and I, I truly appreciated the solutions that I was providing for them. So I could kind of flip my hat and say, oh, I have a lot of passion for this. And to your point. Yeah, the money's excellent. When I left corporate America, I traded in a Lexus SUV for a Honda Civic. Yeah. And <laughs> every, everybody at the car dealership was like, we got to know, man. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, follow, I'm following my dreams, boys. Yeah. Like, I'm off to Hollywood land. And, and I still have that Civic eight years later. There you, know? you go. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw, I mean, honestly, I sounded like a country song. So I eventually got divorced from mm -hmm. my first wife. I sold my house. I got rid of my car, gave my dog to my, my, my cousins and packed everything I owned in one little car and moved out to California. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I sound like a country song, but I mean, that's ultimately what I did. And it's the best decision I ever made because I found that I couldn't live both lifestyles yeah. after a while, right. you know, but I'm also grateful though for all of the lessons that I learned in sales. And I still, I even said this the other day to a friend, I go, everything I learned in sales, I still apply to show business. Because when I got done with sales, I was so ecstatic for the first time in 13 years, I don't have a sales quota this month. Yeah. My sales quota just became my bills. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> that's my quota. Yeah. And so, and I don't, oh, I don't have to make any more cold calls. And now I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling comedy clubs. Yeah. And I'm trying to get booked <laughs> and send us a proposal. And now I'm selling myself. Yeah. So I'm the product. Yeah. And so everything that I learned in sales about networking, marketing, promotion, closing. I applied all of those principles and lessons to show business and, and I've been able to make a career out of it. And, and what's funny and or really ironic is now corporations hire me to come in and talk about this. And I'm like, how great is it that I used to get paid to do sales and now I do stand up and now these corporations are paying yeah. me to talk about <laughs> sales. Yeah. yeah. I really respect the the business acumen you get from sales because I only feel like there's two jobs that are as close to running your own business without actually running your own business as anything. And that's sales and working as a server in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Because those two, the what you do is what your paycheck is, is what you yep. put into it's what you take out of it and taking that business having that business sense when you decided to strike out i'm sure probably puts you a little bit further ahead than somebody else who had been doing comedy the same amount of time that doesn't know anything about business 
Yeah, I and I tell every young comedian who's just kind of at that open mic level, I tell them all, go get a job. Like whether it's in sales or not, like mm. understand because first of all, you'll have a greater appreciation for stand up, which is what you truly want to do. Yeah. You'll give yourself a little bit of wiggle room as far as money goes, have a little bit of comfort in your life so you're not so stressed. I go, and you're gonna learn some valuable lessons about how to run and organize your own business, which eventually you're gonna be running. I mean, at the end of the day, I am an entrepreneur and I am in the business of selling myself and my act. Yeah. And so every, again, all of the lessons that I learned in corporate America, I've, I have applied to this life. And so I encourage every comedian to go out there and get a real job for at least a little while so that they can understand how the real world works. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's so many analogies you can make. I mean, you hear so many no's in sales. Oh you, yeah. You get, you get shot down and you know how much work you put into it. So you, it's hard. And that's a bomb. So you go up and bomb in front of 150 people. That's the same as a no. And then yep. the objections you get, that's kind of improv. That's kind of like a heckler. So you've got the skills to deal with that. And it just takes, it takes a certain type of mindset and a weird kind of maturity to be able to do sales as long as you did. And then yeah. also translate that into the comedy world. To your point, it's like sales in its simplest form is the more people you talk to, the more money you make. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So the more phone calls I make, the more sales calls I make, eventually the more money I'm going to make. And that's essentially how it works. Mm -hmm. Our comedy is the same way. Right. So like how many bookers I call, how many gigs I book, how many jokes I write. So that's even more important. Mm -hmm. I think it was Rita Rudner who had this quote on Mark Maron's podcast. She said, I understood that the more jokes that I wrote, the bigger my house would be. Ah. You're right. And that's the same in sales, right? So the more deals I close, the bigger my house is going to be. Yeah, no doubt. And so for me, the more jokes I write, the bigger my house will be. And so that's the same motivations that I had getting up to do my job in sales are the same exact motivations I have to get up and do my job and stand up. It's just like, I want to keep my calendar filled. I want to keep doing gigs and I want to keep doing that thing that I love, you know, because I don't want to have to go back to my life in a cubicle. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It just wasn't, it just wasn't for me. That's not what I wanted right. for my life. I wanted to be able to travel and fly over Baghdad with night vision goggles yeah. and it's one <laughs> thirty, And I'm just like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. the kind of adventures I wanted to have. Uh -huh. So in, in thinking about that, you're running your own business as a comedian. So what does the beginning of the week look like for you? I know what the weekends are like. So what, this is Monday. What's a typical Monday like for you? Yeah. So like, yeah. So a great question. So I was in San Jose, California this weekend, about a five hour drive. So I drove back last night. Um, I had a show at the Hollywood Improv last night. So I worked, I got home pretty late. So today, Mondays are typically like getting settled in. So I'm doing laundry, cleaning up the apartment, checking emails. And then what I'm doing is I'm going back and I'm cutting up clips from the weekend. So first thing I did today was cut up a really cool crowd interaction I had at the Hollywood Improv last night. And I posted that on the social media. And so, and then what I did is I took a look at what I have coming up. So tomorrow I'm flying to Chicago. I'll be there for a week and a half doing shows. And then I fly to Dubai uh, from Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then from Dubai, I fly to Las Vegas. So now I'm going to be gone for a month. So now I have to pack for a month 
make mm-hmm. sure I've got my pass. You know what I mean? Make, make sure I got my passport. So today is a little bit of a weird Monday because I'm planning to be gone for the next month. Right. But typically what I'm doing on a Monday is the business side of show business, following up with bookers. I am starting to put together marketing materials for my upcoming shows in Chicago. I'm doing promotion to make sure that uh, those seats are filled. And so, um, you know, and at the same time, I'm making sure that my uh, apartment isn't a disaster area. Yeah. And so, cause I work from here too. Yeah. So, yeah. So Monday is a very busy day for me because it's finished closing out the weekend shows by posting up clips, sending out thank yous to the bookers, following up with fans that reached out to me over the weekend. Mm-hmm. A couple people, cause I had sold out of merchandise, a couple people hit me up. And so I'm filling orders for merchandise mm-hmm. and it's pretty busy. And then I have to like, um, religiously, I had to fit in time for writing. Yeah. So I have to make sure that for one hour to two hours a day, I'm just writing new material. I'm listening to my sets from over the weekend to see if there's a little line that I changed or something that I may have added to make that joke a little bit crisper and a little bit tighter or to expand a certain joke. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just for me, again, it's very similar to sales. And then on, on Monday, you had your meeting to say, OK, this is what I'm going to be doing this week. And then I worked in like a campaign mode. So these are the various campaigns you're working in. These are my follow ups so yeah. I can move the sales cycle along. And these are the ones that I'm trying to close in my pipeline. So again, I mean, it's like the world's mirror each other yeah. because that's essentially what I'm doing is I'm moving the sales pipeline along. And again, the product is KenGar.com. Yeah. It's amazing how much work goes into you doing 45 minutes on stage to look like you didn't do any work to do it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. To just make it look like I just up there talking. Yeah. Random thoughts coming out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, it's for me and every comedian's different and every joke is different. But sometimes I'd say on average, it takes me a good three months to complete a joke from start to finish Mm. where you like you start with an idea. And then you're slowly chiseling away at it and then adding new, almost like painting a portrait, like happy trees over here, a couple birds over here. And so for me, it's a long process to get those jokes to where I want them. What prompted me to do the special is I had a lot of material about the pandemic. I did a lot of about Iraq and the Middle East. And so those are jokes that are done and I've been doing them for a while and they're polished. And frankly, I wanted to move on and I just got married a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. to my second wife, my amazing wife. And so now I have new things I want to talk about. And so it's like, all right, let's close the chapter and let's start working the new me. We evolve as people, right? right. Like we we change. I'm not the same person I was five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so that that is reflected in our writing and our, in our standup. And so for me, it's like, okay, who I who am I today? Okay, I'm a new husband. I just survived a global pandemic. I, I'm, you know, now I'm going to, I'm going to be the first comedian to perform in Saudi Arabia in three years. So I'm like, I'm having all these new experiences that I want to talk about. So it seemed like the perfect time to put a special out and kind of be done with that material. Now, as far as the special is concerned, that was self-produced, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I have, I've been in Los Angeles for eight years. I've had quite a bit of success. I perform regularly at the Hollywood Improv and a couple of the other clubs in the, in, in the city of the Ice House in Pasadena. Mm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't want to wait for the Netflixes and the Showtimes and the HBOs because like, I find that if you just put it out there, your audience will find you. Yeah. And so I'm, I decided to self-produce my own special because I just got tired of waiting 
for the right person to happen to be in the audience. And honestly, I had something that I wanted to say yeah. in this special. So for me, it felt like the right time. And again, the response has been so positive. And what I've been able to do now is I own the material. So I can cut it up. I can throw it on Sirius XM. I can throw it up on YouTube and on TikTok. And now I'm starting to grow my social media audience who are finding my, who's, who is finding my comedy for the first time. And so now it helps me to push those numbers up so that I have a, an audience when I go out to like Oklahoma or Texas or wherever I'm going to go tour next. Now this special yeah. is, it's super personal. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty much your life in a nutshell. And I, I really dug that part because I, first off that type of material can't be replicated so you right. you don't have to you don't have to worry about doing somebody else's joke and you don't have to worry about somebody doing your joke but it, i don't know why but it stuck a struck a chord with me and i think it's probably cuz we're both from the same area i mean the the whole chicago south bend thing they're pretty much the same town they're just right. a, little, a few miles away and it just seems like they've got a different Midwest attitude than the rest of the Midwest. And yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. slightly askew. It's a, it, I, sometimes I say it's almost angry Canadian and yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> really accurate. Yeah. And, and a little, it, it bleeds in a little bit into Wisconsin too, but yeah, it's, 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 it's very, when you meet somebody that was from your region, it's pretty easy to tell. So Somebody said to me one time, they're like, you're one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's like, but I can tell you got to switch. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. Like, you're like one of the nicest people, but I don't want to mess with you. Like, yep. I think you got a little switch back there you hit and you're like, what'd you say? Yeah. 100%. We are polite <laughs> until you cross the line and then we're a rage yep. maniac. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly me. <laughs> So this particular style, this is something that most comedians grow into. So when did you first start doing the more personal stuff? And let's go to what did you first start doing when you first started doing stand-up? What types of bits did you do then? I think it was, I think it's always been personal only because and, and I hate to admit this, I'm not very opinionated about a lot of things, right? So, like, I'll be the first to tell you, like, I don't, oh, I don't really know a lot about politics, and I don't really know a lot about sports, and I don't mm -hmm. really know a lot about, well, what I do know is I know a lot about me, and I know a lot about my life. And so when I started doing stand-up in Chicago, I started at, like, rugby bars and mm -hmm. across the street from Zanies and Second City, and I started in Latino rooms on the South Side. And so, like... These are my people. These are like Southside rooms. And I wanted to talk about Southside being such the son of a firefighter and growing up in a blue collar house and drinking water from the hose and th yeah. things like that. And not coming in until the streetlights came on. Yeah. And so for me, I noticed early on in stand up as I was learning the craft that like it's what's the stuff that's most relatable. And then I think how that evolved was into like not only can I, how can I tell stories that are, are relatable because not everybody was in the special Olympics mm -hmm. like I was, but like, how can you tell a story that is engaging and can help 
an audience understand what your perspective is. Because you might know somebody that had a disabled child, or you might know somebody that was in the Special Olympics. And so I wanted to share that experience with everyone. And I just find that, like, to your point, the more personal comedy is, the more unique you are as a performer. And nobody can take that away from me. I am that comedian. I am the son of a firefighter and the son of a homemaker. I am... I did spend 13 years in corporate sales and talk about those experiences. Mm-hmm. I did go to Iraq and have this crazy adventure, right? Mm-hmm. So th- those are the things that are interesting to me. But, you know, what I find, and look, there are a lot of comedians out there that talk politics, that talk, and I, and God bless them. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I just don't feel like I'm an expert enough in that air, in those areas to be able to say, this is how I feel about that. And for me, I'm such a people pleaser that... <laughs> I never wanted to like alienate an audience. Like that's the Midwest thing you talk about. Yeah. Like I, I didn't want to alienate an audience. I didn't yeah. want half the room to walk out. Right. And there are some comedians that believe like, hey man, if you believe in something, you're passionate, you have to, who cares? And for me, it's like, well, you guys are here for a comedy show and you're here to laugh. Uh-huh. So I always wanted to be the comedian that was just like, hey, we're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about some fun things. Yeah. And it's not that I, for me, whenever I do talk politics, I kind of toe the line a little bit. And I like to provide a perspective that's like both people can agree with. Yeah. Like, right. Because I think at the ultimate, at the end of the day, and again, being somebody from the Midwest, it's like, you know, I don't think we are either Fox News or MSNBC. I yeah. think we're like right in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all are. I think we all want safe schools and safe streets. And like, we all want the same thing and lower taxes and job opportunities and all those things. So I try to like stay away from either edge and try to be that Chicago Midwesterner that I am. Right. And I, I respect both sides. So I love like a, like Lewis Black's one of my favorite comedians, but I also respect what you do. And the funny thing is, I don't understand this. Why? So LA is so different from anywhere in the world. And yet they are so drawn to us yokel Midwesterners. Tom Dreesen did so well there. Dave Letterman did so well there. All the all these folks that just come from the Midwest. Gaffigan came from Gary. Yeah. So yeah, it's just amazing how that goes over and yet you get somebody who was born and raised in New York and has that New York sensibility when they go to LA it just sucks for them sometimes and they want to go back to New York and yeah LA just welcomes you with open arms I don't know if it's refreshing or if it's just something something different or what it is but it's amazing how many midwesterners did do so well in la and then i see people move from other parts of the country and they don't do as well yeah i I think la first of all i love los angeles and i love the Mm. comedy scene here to your point i think it is very welcoming because i think we all have the shared goal of making it happen right and so like like la is one of those places where I think Huey Lewis had that famous line. I'm, it took me 20 years to become an overnight sensation. Yeah. Right. And so like, you never know when you're going to pop off. I have guys that I started doing open mics with like preacher Lawson and he blew up on America's got talent and overnight his life has changed. And that can happen to any one of us. Just being at the right place at the right time and making the most out of your opportunities. And so for me, I, the dream that I hold on to is that um, number one, at any time, somebody could be in the room that can change my life and mm. change the trajectory of my career. And number two, and really one of the reasons I wanted to move to Los Angeles 
was because I wanted to see if I could hold my own against the best in the world. I wanted to see if I could follow a Bill Burr on any given night yeah. or a Burt Kreischer or a Theo Vaughn or a Joe Rogan, any of those guys. Mm -hmm. Some of our wonderful female comedians, like my friend Becky Robinson and Ali McCoskey. And I mean, these are like... Honestly, the best of the best is out here and in New York as well. New York has an amazing comedy mm -hmm. scene. But at some point, I needed to kind of like uproot my my life and see if I could hold my own against the big league swingers. Mm -hmm. And so far, it's been great. And it's uh -huh. been a very positive experience for me. But I think a lot of these Midwest guys have a tremendous work ethic and girls. They have a tremendous work ethic. We're used to putting our head down, working hard. And I think that translates very well out here. I remember I had lunch with Tom when I first met out here and he talked about how he slept in an abandoned car for yeah. the first six months and he ate a KFC every day for because it was a wing and a leg for two bucks. Yeah. And so like... <laughs> There's not a lot of people that are willing to do that and to make it work for themselves. So I think there's something to be said about the Midwest work ethic and our desire to be successful. Plus, uh, let's be honest, nobody hardly ever leaves the Midwest. So it's like, yeah. it's like, all my friends are like, they go to South Bend to go to Notre Dame games. And yeah. that's it. It's like, oh, they're all Notre Dame fans. And they go to Ireland to get engaged. And then yeah, they go there to you go. Yeah. Cabin in Wisconsin. And that's <laughs> it. So. For me, it's like, if I'm going to uproot my life, I got to make something out of myself because right. I can't come home with my tail tucked between my legs. <laughs> now, who did you meet along the way that just gave you advice that you still use today? My mentor is and continues to be Brad Garrett. Mm -hmm. Brad is the actor from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. Brad has a very long career in stand-up before he became an actor. He was one of the first winners of Star Search with Ed McMahon. Yep. And he went up he, against Bob Zaney on that one, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think um, Zaney was on that one. And he opened for Frank Sinatra and Diana Ross. And, and so I had the opportunity to work with him at the Chicago Improv. And we had such a fun time together at the end of the week. And again, my sales experience made a thank you note. And I thank you for being so gracious with my parents and my friends and if you ever need an opener in the Midwest again, please keep me in mind. I, it was just such a treat to work with you. And six weeks later, his booker called me and said, Brad just opened a room at the Tropicana in Las Vegas and he'd love for you to come out and perform. And it was like my first time performing in Vegas. It was such a huge deal. My family flew out. And that kind of began this relationship that I've had with him for now almost 10 years. And he has become a mentor. And one of the things that he told me pretty early on, I said, boy, I'm really good at the show part and I'm really terrible at the business part. I just, I can't seem to get that one opportunity that's going to open the door and, and pave the way for that next level, whatever that is. And he said, Ken, I want you to forget about the idea of making it. He goes, I want you to let go of that idea. He goes, if you've got money in your pocket, and you've got gigs on the calendar. He's like, guess what? You made it in stand-up. He's like, I see so many people that burn out and that become cynical and resentful of this thing that they love so much because they haven't, in their mind, reached whatever level they set out to reach. Now, it's important to have goals, just like it is in sales. It's important to have goals in stand-up, but to like be consumed by these so that you feel like a failure every day that you wake up or you're stressed out because you're just not getting an agent or a manager or whatever. I let go of that. And that gave me a lot of freedom. And it gave it, it gave me a sense of peace when I heard that. And now it's like, okay, I can go and produce my own special. I don't need to wait for Netflix. Mm -hmm. I don't need to wait for 
HBO and Showtime. And so for some of these people, uh, Tonight Show is important and all these things are important. But for me, it's like I have my calendar right here and it's filled with gigs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm happy. Yeah. Every day I wake up and I do the thing I want to do. I take a nap every day. I mean, don't underestimate the value of the being able to take a nap at three in the afternoon. Naps are very important. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't do that without some boss going like, how many calls did you make today? Uh, right. You know, that lack of cynicism you have, I, I think really is what makes you a great comedian. And I watched a lot of clips, not just the special, like at the Laugh Factory and some of those clips that you have out. You're very present when you're there. You're, you're not thinking about the next thing. You understand that the audience came here to see you. They came to, they came there to laugh and you can tell that you are putting everything into making that happen and being in the moment. And I noticed that and I appreciate that with comics because you, you do see the other side of that. And, yeah. and I think that what Brad told you is, is definitely worked well for you. And I think it's interesting because you guys are such different com comics yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and a lot of folks don't understand that you can be different and still appreciate a good joke and oh, absolutely. A, a good act. And it's, and even not, I, in this show, I have a lot of people on that are completely on the opposite side of my political stance. And mm -hmm. sometimes I get hate mail because of it. And they're like, why did you talk to that guy? And I said, because he's funny. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did some really great stuff. And and just I appreciate anybody that can put butts in seats and can make them laugh. And that's who I like to talk to. And and some folks think you need to have a special bent to your show or something like that. And I'm not just gonna I'm just not gonna have my people on the show. I'm gonna have everybody on the show. But yeah. that's my rant for the day anyway. But I've I've gotten a little bit of hate mail recently. And it's weird. Oh. I've gotten some good stuff too. So it all evens out. But uh, all I would say to that is if you're sending hate mail to a podcast that's about comedy, like take a look at your own life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, it's like I get negative comments on YouTube. I just got one today. Like uh -huh. somebody, some guy put tragic. I hope you're not a full time comedian. Yeah. And I go, I am. And you can see me at the MGM in Las Vegas at the end of September. <laughs> like, and I, it's like, it, it, look, this is subjective. Like, yeah. Either people like it or they don't like it. Yeah. People have their favorites. And some people, my wife doesn't like comedy. I love her. But uh -huh. she's just like, oh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a, a weird marriage, but okay. <laughs> but look, man, I thank you for saying that. I try to be present. One of the, one of the great things about living in Los Angeles is that I'm able to sit in the back of the comedy store and watch the truly greats. And so I can sit and watch Chappelle uh, for three hours perform mm -hmm. and he's just like just talking he's just yeah. out there and he's like exploring mm -hmm. but he's never not present right right yeah and so like for me or watching sebastian and maniscalco's like all of his everything is all of his hand movements yeah. all of his gestures all of his faces that's all part of it you know what i mean and so for me it's like literally like watching game film mm -hmm. for football and i'm able to watch some of these greats like do their craft and go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to, you know what? I noticed that Chappelle is always in the moment. He's always self-aware of what's going on in the crowd. And Sebastian is very deliberate in all of his actions and all of his faces. And so that's what I want to take away from these greats is like being present and being the best that I could be in mm -hmm. that moment. 
But you're right. There are comedians and I've called my friends out too. it. If they're not doing well or that it's just the set's not going the way they want it, they just phone it in. You can see it in their eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, where it just leaves them. Yeah. They're going, well, yeah. this crowd sucks. And for me, it's like the onus is on me to turn this around. Yeah. 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 So that's switch, go to crowd work or change it up a little bit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things I noticed in the special is that, okay, you're not manic, but you do use the stage, you do the pacing and all that. Is that a learned thing for you or were you always a little bit active on stage? I think it's very much a learned thing and it comes with the comfort level that you have with being on stage. So for the first few years of doing stand-up, you're literally like, I have got to remember this joke. Yeah. And so yeah. you're standing in place. Maybe you're not even taking the microphone out. You're just trying to recall the joke and hit the beats and get the punchline out. And then eventually you get a little bit more comfortable. And now the mic comes out of the stand and you're moving around a little bit, you're a little comfortable. And then once you have mastered your act and you've kind of, you're very comfortable. I filmed my special in Chicago. My friends and family were there. I'm staring at my cousins. I'm, you know what I mean? Like I'm just in the moment. And I'm working a big room and you get to a point with experience doing standup that you can move the audience to where you want them to be. And so some of that might come from moving on to the stage or maybe I'm not getting the energy I want from this side of the room. So I'm going to I'm going to move over here or maybe I'm about to tell the joke about something that I know that this I can tell that this guy is really going to relate to. So now I'm going to go over here. And so you're, to your point, it's like you're always present yeah. and you always kind of understand what the audience is giving you. And so when you see me moving around stage, again, it's very deliberate because mm. I'm trying to pull from the audience what I need from them energy wise right. to get the biggest reaction out of my joke. Yeah. Are you sometimes watching the audience and seeing that person that's just really, especially when you're doing a special, that's just really laughing really well. And then you'll move towards them a little bit to get them going. And then that'll spread throughout the whole theater. Yeah. I mean, look, laughter is contagious, right? Yeah. So you do a room with 500 people. If you get a hundred of them to laugh, the other 400 don't want to be left out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That where you're a good comedian or when you know you're a good comedian is when you get those rooms that have just 20 people in there and it's yeah. midnight on a Friday and now you're turning around or you do a bar show and then all of a sudden everyone starts turning around from the bar and yeah. they're starting to watch you and not watch the game anymore. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely hone in on that one person. For my special, my friend John was there and he's got this huge, we actually call him the laugher because he's uh -huh. got this gregarious laugh. And I told him after the show, I go, boy, I was nervous. I was really nervous filming the special. And I go, I just, I go, I was just talking to you the whole time yeah. because that's the energy I wanted to connect to. Uh -huh. Now, as comedians, some of us live in that dark world and we just focus on the guy that's like this. I had a guy last night at the Hollywood Improv where he's uh, arms are crossed and he's, uh, uh -huh. and finally I just walked up. I go, what do you want from us? What do you want? You've got food. You've got a beautiful wife. You've got drink. I go, what? more <laughs> you and then all of a sudden his body language changed and yeah. he started laughing so <laughs> absolutely like we we see it all as comedians we absolutely see all of it that's yeah. happening within the lights that we can see yeah it's so. very hard to not key in on that person who's got their arms crossed and is not laughing <laughs> it, it, that, and i go right for him yeah. every time yeah and i should do that more i just did a set last week that i there was this girl right in front just not having it and yeah i should have addressed it instead of instead of just letting it flabbergast me i was just like 
okay, what's my next show? It just totally took me out of my game. And that's yep. because I'm newer at it. So it's not, I don't have that skill. But after you say that, I'm going to develop that skill now and start yeah. using it because it's, it's definitely necessary. You can... You got to find one or the other. You're either going to grab the one that isn't having it or grab the one that really likes it and make sure you utilize both the right way. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it does take some time to learn that and get comfortable with that crowd work. And that's, it's a learned art. I yeah. remember when I first started, I worked with a comedian named Butch Bradley and I've never seen anybody do crowd work better than him, maybe even to this day. And he's like, oh, just try it. I failed and bombed horribly. But eventually I started hosting open mics at the Hollywood Improv and at the Ice House. And I just got used to it. It's just like working out at the gym. You work on a certain yeah. muscle group. And after a while, you just start getting better at it. Now, if I see that person with their arms crossed, or, and I used to go right after them. And not in a mean way. It's like, well, what's your problem? It's like... Did you have a bad day today? Did you, yeah. Are you going through a breakup? What's going on? Yeah. Let's talk. Like, like there's nobody else in the room. It's just me and you. What yeah. do you need? What do right. you want? Uh -huh. And so, and, and more, than, more than often than not, you equalize it. You neutralize yeah. that problem. And then they, they go on with your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but, for sure. Now, <laughs> as far as comedians are concerned, you get to see a lot of them in L.A., what and you get to see ones that have that raw talent that you just know that they can they can go somewhere and they make mistakes both in comedy and in the business part what are the most prevalent mistakes that you see and what advice would you give to somebody that is they're a diamond in the rough there's something there but they may be self-sabotaging themselves in some way what advice would you give to somebody who's well, they've got the talent but they they just don't know how to take that to the next level and maybe they're yeah. not they're doing things that could hold them back well, the thing that i see so often is that people get a little bit of heat and it goes to their head. So mostly it's just keeping your ego in check. Similar to like Brad's advice. It's like, I turn the page on the calendar and maybe I have nothing for November, December, right? Oh man, I gotta, I gotta get to work. But for me, it's about like really staying humble. So now my, my, my persona on stage might be cocky or arrogant, but like mm. behind the scenes, it's like, I'm trying to stay humble. And even if I have a little bit of heat on me, I know that tomorrow I could be tomorrow's or yeah, I could be yesterday's news tomorrow. Uh -huh. Right. And so uh, I see a lot of guys that uh, get a little bit of heat and it gets to their head. And then all of a sudden, either they're not writing, they're not outperforming. Maybe they're just not being a professional at the gigs themselves. Mm. It's kind of like going to their head a little bit. Um, and, and so I, I see it, especially with people that are what I like to call, I go, there's nothing worse in the world than someone who's almost famous. Yeah. Right. So you get these people that like, oh, I got a couple of TV credits. Like uh -huh. now is my time. Uh -huh. And the reality is that this life is very much one gig at a time. Right. I've got Dubai coming up. I've got Saudi Arabia coming up. I've got Vegas coming up. And then after that, who knows? Uh -huh. Right. But if I start thinking too far ahead, and letting it get to me ego wise, mm -hmm. then I know that at the end of the day, people aren't going to want to work with me if I'm a jerk or if I'm not being professional, right. if I'm not getting there early or on, on time for my gig, if I'm not killing because I'm taking it for granted because of how well I'm doing. So I see these almost famous people that are kind of getting some heat on them, forget how to like stay professional. Now mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to work with guys like Adam Sandler and David Spade, and these guys are early to the gig. And I mean, these are some of the most famous people in the world mm. and they're looking over their notes and yeah. they're, they're, they appreciate the art so much and the craft so much that they, 
know that people came to see Adam Sandler and they're not going to let them down and phone it in. Right. And then you get some of these kind of tier two, tier three celebrities or famous people that kind of like, oh, it's just a Tuesday night. Who cares? It's like, we're still here to see you, man. You, you yeah. still have, you have to like be at that gold standard at all times. Mm. I remember one time I didn't have a great set. And I was fuming on the way home and I was giving another comedian a ride home. And she's just like, yeah, it's just one set. And I go, you don't understand. I go, I am a professional. Like I can't bomb. I can't have a bad set because uh -huh. I'm a professional. If I'm a baseball player and I go over five with four strikeouts that day, I guarantee you that guy is mad and yeah. he's fuming yeah. and I'm feeling the same way yeah. because I can't afford to have that anymore happen mm -hmm. to me. Now I have enough experience under my belt to like pull myself out of like a mediocre set. And I've got a couple of things loaded up that I know will get big laughs mm -hmm. that I could turn it around. I have enough of that experience, but to just bomb now that I'm self-proclaimed professional comedian, it's just unacceptable to me because I hold myself to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. And, and so some of these comedians that are kind of like maybe taking their stage time for granted or not doing their best. Um, and that used to be me. I, I'm, I'm speaking from my own perspective personal experience right i used to take a lot of the stage time for granted and i wouldn't prepare and i wouldn't look at my set list and i wouldn't i would just go oh, i'll figure it out when i get on stage yeah absolutely not like now every gig is meticulously planned what am i going to say tonight how is it going to how am i going to deliver it um if i had to say it out loud in the car ride there i'm doing it i am treating this as a profession and i think that's what gives me the opportunities that i've gotten so far excellent excellent as far as you've got a lot of things coming up, but as far as your next big project, do you, is that something that you've started planning or are you building that hour, that new hour back up? Yeah. So, so for me, it's like, okay, the, the, the special is out, it's done, it's out there. Mm. And now for me, it's that painstaking process of developing the new material. Mm. And so what I do is I take like a 30,000 foot approach and say, okay, where am I at in my life right now? Okay. You're recently married. You're living in Los Angeles. You've got two dogs, two guinea pigs. You're, you're a traveling comedian. Your parents are getting older. They're hit, they're about to hit 80. I'm 45. So now I'm starting to get the creaks in my neck and my lower back. And so I'm just taking a look at kind of what's going on in my life. And I'm looking also at what's going on in the world. Well, the world's crazy right now. We've got climate change or not, whatever you believe. Yeah. We've got like, we've got an election coming up. We've got like all these things. So, so for me, it's just like, now is the time where I'm just open to what's going on around me, uh -huh. you know? And a lot of times, like I'm going on a fishing trip with my very best friends that I've been best friends with since I was like four. And I'll ask him, I go, you know what? And it just kind of comes organically. We'll just, we'll just start talking stories about, oh, well, remember when we were kids and we did, oh yeah, I do remember that now. And so, and you'll just see me on my phone typing away. So for me, now is the time to kind of just take stuff in and kind of start developing about that new thing that I want to talk about. Having been divorced, I'm talking a lot about what I've learned from my first marriage that I've carried into my second marriage. The lessons that you learn, because now you're, you, I've got that like, I'm almost like a monk where I can like just see 
yeah. how this is going to end. And yeah. like, we're going to avoid that yeah. because we're not how this <laughs> argument ends. So uh, this is what I said in 2006. I'm not going to say that this yeah. time. Oh, man. I tell you what, it's one thing to learn from it. It's another thing to live through it. I've been with my wife for 40 years. And uh, fortunately, uh, we both we both took each other's uh, good and bad parts and lived through yeah. it. And now we're really good. So that's it's it's interesting. It's, it's It gives me a lot of material because there's not many comedians that have a 40-year relationship that they can yeah. talk about. So that's cool. My and, parents have been married. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, my parents have been married for 58 years. And yeah. my dad said, I had to fall in love with your mom seven times. Yeah, you there know, you like, go. Yeah. They change. And yep. he's like, and then a couple times I didn't fall in love with her. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, for sure. Now, the special American hero, I know that's on YouTube, but that also went on Amazon as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just about, I think a week ago, week and a half ago, it just went live on Amazon Prime. So it's playing worldwide. So you can rent or buy it on Amazon Prime if you have a Fire Stick or Apple TV or whatever you're using mm -hmm. to stream, or you can watch it for free on YouTube. Okay. So, hey, I get a little bit more money if you go on Amazon, if you want to support a, a comedian or an artist. <laughs> I would love for you to rent or buy it, but yeah. it's also available for free on YouTube. So. Yeah, it's a great special. And got Thanks. your website up. As far as social media, where can people find mm -hmm. you? Yeah, please. Uh, my my web, I Twitter and Instagram and TikTok are Ken Gar was taken. So okay. K E N G A R R uh, was taken. So I want a Ken Gar, but it was taken. Yeah. How the goes. But <laughs> yeah, so you can follow me on all of that. And my website, KenGar.com, where you can actually check out my special. I got my little merch shop. I've got my tours that are coming up. I'll be in Las Vegas at the end of this month. I'll be in Gilbert, Arizona at the end of October. I'm also doing some cruise ships. So if you're going to be taking a cruise, hopefully you'll get, you'll get lucky and I'll be one of the comedians performing for you as well. Very good. I learned a lot today and I really appreciate you coming on and talking about your career. It's, I relate to you a lot just because of the sales thing where it's almost like being in the military together. It's a brothers in arms type thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've been in the, we've been in the foxhole together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this was a great talk and I really appreciate it. I love the special. Everything's going to be in the show notes. So I'll have a link to the special in the show notes, Ken's website and all the socials. So make sure you check it out, folks. Thanks so much for being on the show, Ken. Thanks for having me, Scott.